Last year, before Oxford High School students went back to school, there was a group of about a dozen or so pastors who I remember spent some time praying and walking through the hallways of the high school, praying over the students that would be coming back in the days ahead, of walking through the hallways and looking at names and um, walking by the classroom, seeing names of teachers um, and looking at those names. And I remember us uh, seeing those and just thinking about the teachers who in just a couple days would be back in the classroom, all the fears, all of the pain, all of the hurt. I remember walking into certain classrooms and seeing papers that hung in the hallway that were written before the shooting, but now were names of students who witnessed something that I can't even comprehend how to recover from. And so we were walking around the hallways and praying, um, and I remember there was a moment that after we, we spent some time praying, um, I was having a conversation with who's since become a friend of mine, Pastor Dave, and we were having a conversation, and I asked him a question. It was something along the lines, I don't know exactly the way I phrased it, but it was something along the lines of, do you have a hard time praying for God to be present for the kids when they come back to school when a few weeks ago he wasn't there? Because for me in that moment, like there was this weird disconnect that I'm praying and asking God to do something that it seems like he didn't do. And maybe that's a crass way of putting it, but for me, it's the kind of question that is just more like, God, where the hell were you? Like, God, why didn't you stop something that is clearly evil? And so I remember in that conversation, Pastor Dave shared with me a text from Psalm 88. And for me, ever since that moment, Psalm 88 has been associated with the events that, that, um, that so many students experienced a little more than a year ago and he shared that with me in conversation. I heard them share that with a number of other students and parents and leaders. I remember him sharing it in a memorial that he shared with the Oxford community. And he shared Psalm 88 because it's a psalm from darkness. It's a psalm that speaks to the reality that there are moments when things are not the way they should be. Now, what's fascinating to me about Psalm 88, it's actually the only psalm of lament that doesn't move towards confidence and praise in the end. It begins with one line of confidence in the very beginning. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. And from that point on, it's all darkness. It doesn't get better in the psalm. It's filled with darkness. It ends in darkness. No response from God. No God finally coming through in the end. No calls or reminders of God's sovereignty. And what's fascinating to me is that all throughout the Bible and through Christian history, darkness has been seen as a part of the reality of the Christian faith. See, one of the things I love most about the Bible is the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the darkness. The Bible actually doesn't do what most of us do in the midst of the darkness. The Bible doesn't offer good Christian cliches that hopefully make everybody feel like everything's going to work out in the end and everything's nice and happy. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is raw and it's gritty and it's honest. There are psalms that say, God, where are you? God, why aren't you listening? The entire books like Lamentations that are just crying out to God because things are not good. There was a Christian mystic by the name of St. John of the Cross. He referred to his own experience in the Christian faith as the dark night of the soul. That for him, there were moments in his faith that he said were complete darkness. It felt like he did all the things that he knew God promised to show up and it didn't feel like God showed up. That he tried. He tried to read his Bible. He tried to pray and meditate on the scriptures and it came up empty. 
or at least it seemed. Martin Luther, who is, who is a famous for the Reformation, he described his own troubling internal world by calling it soul suffering. That there were moments so difficult in his faith where he felt like he was suffering in his soul. The psalmist here calls it the darkness. Because there are moments when it feels like God's gone dark. Moments when it feels like we have been crying out to God day after day and the only thing we get is silence. Moments when it feels like we've exhausted our faith and we can't make any progress. Moments when it feels like we're at the lowest of lows and there's nothing left. Moments when it feels like if God really is all powerful, I don't know if he's good. Moments when it feels like we're in it alone like God's left us, like our families left us, like our friends have all left us behind. And it's to that reality that the psalmist writes the words he does in Psalm 88. And I want to read us those this morning because I think they speak to the reality and the suffering and the hurts of life. The psalmist says this, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. Right, that's the place he begins. He begins with the confidence. He begins with the hope. This is who God is. He is the God who saves. And then he makes a radical shift at that moment and everything's downhill. He says, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to the grave. In other words, my life is falling apart. God, I'm crying to you day after day. My soul is troubled. I am hurting it feels like I'm about to die. Verse 4 says, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. In other words, he said, I might as well be dead. That's what my experience is like. I might as well be one who's in the grave. Like, what are you going to do for them? Verse 5 says, whom you remember no more who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with your waves. You have even taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I love the way he describes like what God's doing here because he blames it on God. He says, God, you've done this to me. Like you made my friends leave. You made this happen to me. You didn't stop this. Right, this is the language he uses. He says, I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Right, in other words, his eyes are so filled with tears he can barely see a way forward. I call to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Some of you know what it's like to pray for something every day and still feel like you're not getting an answer. That's what he speaks of. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. Some scholars would suggest that he's experiencing some kind of sickness from, from childhood even, that he's continued to pray that this would go away and it hasn't. From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. I've suffered your tears and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your tears have destroyed me. 
All day long they surround me like a flood. You, they have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Darkness is my closest friend. See, darkness becomes your closest friend when darkness is the only thing that you can count on. Darkness becomes your closest friend when darkness is the only thing you can see. Darkness becomes your closest friend when darkness is the only thing you can explain. And see, as the psalmist describes his life, darkness is the thing he can count on. Darkness is the thing that when he goes to bed, he knows he's going to encounter the next day. Darkness is the conversation that he keeps having day after day after day. And there are moments when that's the reality of our life. When God doesn't do what you think he should do. When your spiritual life doesn't produce the results that you feel like it should be producing. When your faithfulness to Jesus doesn't lead to the blessings that you think are promised to you. Darkness is what you experience. When I walked the halls of Oxford High School, this verse made sense to me. And not sense because I now suddenly understood it all. No, it made sense how somebody could follow Jesus and ask those kind of questions. Where you could ask the kind of questions like, God, where were you? God, why were you absent? Darkness is my closest friend. I've had several friends over the past couple of months get really hard diagnoses. To have to sit in conversation with a doctor and hear them say cancer. To be forced to face fear and anxiety of the unknown. To be forced with the reality of what does it look like to now be in a fight that you never chose. To watch strong, powerful friends fight like hell to what I would describe as hell invading earth. Darkness is my closest friend. A couple of days ago, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for a young woman who, whose life was robbed on the streets of Detroit. And at the funeral, there is, there is this moment of looking at pictures of a little girl and her sister dressed up as princesses. And then to know that the reality is that somebody didn't see that girl as worth living. Darkness is my closest friend. What is it for you right now that has made you so familiar with the dark? What has made you so well acquainted with grief? Is there a phone call that you are used to getting that you're just really tired of getting? What's the conversation you're tired of having but you can count on having again and again? What are you tired of being a consistent presence in your life? Darkness is my closest friend. The place the psalmist begins is knowing and understanding who God is and what he does, but the rest of the psalm is him being deeply honest. And what I appreciate about his honesty is it teaches us that the darkness is normal. 
darkness is a normal part of the journey of faith. See, often when you and I hit a season of darkness, we begin to question our faith. Because if I have these doubts, what kind of Christian am I? If I'm struggling to pray, what kind of Christian am I? If I'm struggling to believe that God could be good and this is what I'm experiencing, what kind of Christian am I? When in reality, is you're a Christian like Christians have been for thousands of years, you're a normal human being. And life is often really, really hard. In fact, I would suggest you're an honest human being. Because sometimes you can be doing all the right things and you still don't feel like you're experiencing God's presence. You can be praying all the right prayers, doing the right things, and it feels empty. And it's not a sign to you that God isn't there or that God's not real. It's a sign that you are a normal follower of Jesus. The Bible is filled with these experiences. The Psalms are filled with these experiences. We often miss this language in our prayer life because we're unfamiliar with the prayers of the Bible. St. John of the Cross, when he coined the term dark night of the soul, he described his own faith in Jesus by saying that he was finding no consolation in things of God, nor in any created thing either. In other words, he didn't didn't find any joy or peace from God or in any of the world around him. None of it was working. Sometimes in the darkness, the tried and true ways that you felt God before, they seem to not work. And that doesn't mean you don't love God or that God's not there. It means you are like every follower of Jesus who is on a journey and is in a moment of the dark night of the soul. On December 11th, 1979, Mother Teresa went to Oslo, Norway to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, if you don't know what the Nobel Peace Prize is, you, not just anybody can get a Nobel Peace Prize, right? You, it's, you have to have an incredible love for peace and generosity in the world. And so Mother Teresa founded an order of missionaries of charity. She famously dedicated her life to the poor, particularly in India. In recent history, there are not many we could put on the level of Mother Teresa in terms of her willingness to give up everything in following Jesus. And so she gave up everything she had in order to serve the poor, to care for the least of these. When it comes to loving people like Jesus did, she did it unbelievably. And I can't imagine when I think about her life, the way she loved and cared for the poor, I can't imagine what kind of relationship somebody has to have with Jesus to be willing to go to the places she did. To be willing to sacrifice the comfort, so many of the things that we have in order to serve in places no one else wanted to serve. The kind of calling she must have, the kind of awareness she must have had of what God was calling her to do. In her speech accepting, uh, um, accepting the Nobel Peace Prize, she made words and she decided she's going to use that moment to challenge people, to challenge people to love the least of these like she did. And so she, and when accepting the spe- in her accepting speech, said it this way, it is not enough for us to say, I love God, but I do not love my neighbor. And she could say it. Right? She, she could back it up because her actions backed it up. And she, she said to anyone, so if you're there and you love God, well, if you love God but you're not willing to lay your life down for another person, then do you really? And if we were to take that alone as a snapshot into Mother Teresa's life, I think the picture of what we thought her spiritual life looks like would be far different from the reality of what she experienced internally. 
After Mother Teresa died, a number of her writings over the course of 66 years have now been re released. There are letters of Mother Teresa back and forth, and what you find in those letters is not a radical and overwhelming sense of the presence of God. Instead, you find what you find in this letter that she wrote to the Reverend Michael von der Peet. She said this to him, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, I listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but does not speak. She wrote these words three months before accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. See, what you can see about a person in their love for God and what is going on in their own soul and their own experience is often far different. And the darkness is difficult, but it's not abnormal. When the psalmist writes about the darkness in Psalm 88, he's normalizing it. Not normalizing it as though it's good, but normalizing it because it's time for us to talk about it. Because what do we do when we are in a dark moment in our journey of faith? How do we move forward when we can't see the way forward? And so the psalmist, there's a sense that he's comfortable with the darkness. Now, I wouldn't say he's comfortable with what he experiences in the dark. I, I don't think he is celebrating the bad in his life. There can be a tendency for us to let, oh, if we just pretend the bad things are good things, then we'll feel better. That's not what he's doing here. He's just comfortable talking about what he's experiencing in the dark. He's comfortable bringing it to light, letting other people know that he is struggling to live right now, letting other people know that he's struggling to find peace and hope and joy. Pain and fear always grow in the dark. The things that you're afraid of, the things that seem out of control, the thoughts in the middle of the night that you are left with yourself in, those grow in the dark. The place where they can't grow is when they're brought out into the light. When you bring to light what you experience in the dark, you rob those things the opportunity to grow and take control of your life. That's why the Bible is the way it is, so that the things that happened in the dark, the Bible is full of messed up stuff. The Bible, though, brings the darkness into the light because it's in the grittiness and the raw honesty of the Bible that people don't have to pretend bad things are good things. I think often we do that in the church. We call death good. We call suffering good when the reality is they're not. We don't need a Christian cliche to make us feel better about those things. We just need honesty so that we can bring those into the light so that instead of a statement like, well, God has a plan for everything that doesn't ever help you when you're hurting. Instead, we can ask the kind of questions like, God, where were you? God, why didn't you? If you want to prevent fear from taking control, Ask God that kind of question. Because death sucks. And cancer is awful. Loss, abuse, depression, anxiety. They destroy lives. And when you're in a relationship with Jesus, if you're believing that somehow suddenly those things disappear, that's not the reality. It's not the reality of the scriptures. It's not reality that you and I experience. But when the psalmist says these words, something important happens. That then anyone who comes after him read those words 
anyone who came after him who listened to those in the readings in the synagogue, anyone who would come after him who would make those prayers their prayers would realize that they're not alone. Because you don't walk alone in the dark. And some of you who've been in the dark, you realize, you've realized this before in a very difficult way. Because what often happens in the dark is there are also unspoken groups of people that you join, although you don't want to join. That often in the darkest moments of your life, you realize that there are people who experience just what you experience, that you didn't know they experienced, and they didn't know you experienced until you both experienced those things. Unspoken groups of people who struggle with, with fertility. Unspoken groups of people who've lost a child. Unspoken groups of people who've lost a parent. Unspoken groups of people who've had to fight against cancer. Unspoken groups of people who've experienced sexual abuse. Unspoken groups of people who've had an abusive partner. And suddenly when somebody learns your darkness, you, they, you, they realize that you experience what they experience and you didn't know that you experienced the same thing. And suddenly you realize that you're not alone. A couple years ago, there was actually a hashtag that came out of a movement surrounding this very idea that often you join unspoken groups of people. And so out of the unspoken group of women who've experienced sexual assault, two simple words began to have weight and power in a movement. Two simple words that said, me too. And the reason those words were powerful and the reason they latched on were, were two very important realities. One, there was a darkness that wasn't just one woman, but were millions. But two, and I think even more important, there was a powerful reality in realizing you're not the only one. Because when you hear the words, me too, what you begin to realize is that you're not the only one who feels what you're feeling. You're not the only one who has the anger that you have. You're not the only one who's felt what you feel. You're not the only one who feels alone. You're not the only one who wishes you died. When the psalmist writes the words and says, darkness is my closest friend, he is saying, me too. I've been there. I've wanted to give up. I haven't known how to continue forward. As he shares the words, perhaps even in his own community, there begin to be other people who say, oh, you too. There's a pastor by the name of Tish Harrison Warren who, who writes in a book called Prayers in the Dark. And she writes an incredible, um, incredible testimony to her own experience of trying to learn how to pray in the midst of the darkness. Because in dark seasons, it can be incredibly painful to try to talk to God when you feel like God wasn't there, when God didn't show up. And so what she writes, in the, she writes and documents a season of her life where she experienced both a miscarriage and the loss of a parent in the same year. And she writes this about when she was trying to pray. She said, when I could not pray, the church said, hear our prayers. When I could not believe, the church said, come to the table and be fed. When I could not worship, the church sang over me the language of faith. What she found was a community of people who surrounded her, of other people who knew what it was like to be in the dark, a group of people who knew what it was like to hurt, a group of people who knew that when you walk in darkness, you should not be left alone in the darkness. 
what if we became that kind of place? What if when you walked in darkness, you realized that you are never alone? In Matthew chapter 27, it describes the events of Jesus' crucifixion. And I love how Matthew records the event because it's almost as though Matthew and God together are trying to describe a metaphor that happens in the sky when it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. It's as though Matthew and God both are making similar points. One, God in a historical event in the sky, Matthew in the words he decides to write on paper for you and I to read, that in darkness, Defeat seems imminent. In darkness, hope seems lost. In darkness, even closest friends abandon you. And Jesus is there because he chose it. And he certainly didn't want to suffer. He didn't want the pain. In fact, the night before, we learn about him in the garden begging God for another way. But we also know that he's offering his own life and he does it for you. That it's his death and resurrection that gives us the power over our own darkest moments in our life. Jesus, when he's in that dark moment, he actually prays and cries out from Psalm 22, which is incredible because it matches the same kind of language as Psalm 88. Psalm 22, Jesus quotes by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't quote a psalm and say, God, I know you have a plan for me. You know, he says, my God, my God, where are you? I, like I picture Jesus even on the night before when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying Psalm 88. Like, is that the language that he would have in his heart and his mind when he's praying? And so when he, when he talks about friends being abandoned, is that the moment while the disciples are falling asleep and leaving there, while he's crying and sweating out blood, saying, God, would you do something? Would you have another way? Is that a moment then Jesus in prayer humbly just says, all right, darkness is my closest friend. Jesus is always present in the darkest moments. Jesus, in darkness of the cross, meets you in your own darkness. And Jesus meets you there because he's been there. He has been well acquainted with grief and suffering. He's been abandoned by his closest friends. He's been that left feeling alone and forsaken. And so what do we do in the midst of the dark? How do we continue to move forward? I think the bit place to begin is with prayer, which can be incredibly difficult to do in the midst of the darkness, but is also incredibly powerful and important for us as followers of Jesus. There's a poem called, from the book called God on Mute by Pete Craig that I want to share with you. He describes prayer in the dark this way. He says, first, there is prayer. And where there is prayer, there may be miracles. But where miracles may not be, there are questions. Where there are questions, there may be silence. But silence may be more than absence. Silence may be presence muted. Silence may not be nothing but something to explore, defy, accuse, engage. 
and this is prayer. And where there is prayer, there may yet be miracles. What if when you felt like God had gone dark, you didn't give up on prayer, but you turned to it? And what if we became the kind of community that when you ran out of words to pray, that we surrounded you and covered you in prayer? And what if we became the kind of people that didn't hide the darkness and hide the things that have hurt us or we're ashamed of, but what if we spoke about those with honesty that not, didn't just set us free, but also let another person know that they're not alone? Perhaps then we become the kind of people that the scripture so often describes. And so here's what I want to encourage you with in this. Here's what I want you to put into practice. Because it's one thing to just hear these things and let them sit in your head. But how do you, how does those flow from your head to your heart and through your body and how you actually live your life? The first thing I want to challenge you to put into practice is to bring your darkness into the light. I want to encourage you, find somebody to bring the dark stuff out to, to share your darkness with another person, to not leave that buried deep within yourself, but to share it openly with another person. What if you had a small group of people who you could share what was going on in the inside? What if we all had communities like that where we could be honest about our own suffering, our own doubts, our own questions? And what if when we shared our own darkness that we help set another person free, to help remind them that they're not alone. And the next thing I want to challenge you is continue to pray in the midst of the dark. And perhaps, depending on who you are, that one, for some of you, maybe that, that sounds too simple, that sounds too easy. For others of you, you're like, I've tried that, I don't have anything to pray. Prayer can be really hard in the midst of the dark. And so if you struggle with the words to pray, what I encourage you, struggle, just struggle with the words. Tell God, I have nothing to say to you right now, and just let that be your prayer. Or maybe you have some prayers because you went to church growing up, and so you know some memorized ones, and that's all you can muster up. Like you can say, you can say Our Father who art in heaven. Or maybe, or maybe you know the Bible has some prayers in it, and so you're like, I'll read a psalm, and that can be my prayer. Let that be your prayer. And if you are somebody who knows someone in the dark, you likely then also know somebody who's struggling to pray right now. And so pray on their behalf. Pray the things that they can't pray. Have the boldness to ask for the kind of things that they're too afraid to ask for right now. Because they're not asking those questions, not because they don't want them, but because they're afraid. Because what if God doesn't answer See, it's in the darkest moments that God shows up. And that doesn't resolve the tension of the why. It doesn't resolve the tension of the pain that happens in the dark. But it's in the dark night that Jesus draws close like a father near his child. And in the midst of the lies and the noise of the doubts and the hurts, in the midst of all the cries, God himself is whispering to you, I'm right here. And I don't know what your darkness looks like right now. But I do know that Jesus, the one who defied the darkness, also enters into your darkness. 
And Jesus makes the darkness his closest friend because he is your closest friend. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you knowing the heaviness and the reality of life that there are many of us who are in this room with some really, really hard things right now. Jesus, we come to you with things that just the very word darkness that for some of us just stirs up all kinds of stuff. And Jesus, I pray that in these moments that you would bring to our own heart and our mind right now the darkness that we are experiencing. Would you bring to mind the parts and the moments of life where we're asking you the question, God, where are you? God, why didn't you do something? God, would you show us where you are? Some of you, as you sit and as you listen to the things we share today, maybe some of you have somebody else who comes to your heart and your mind. I believe they come to your mind because God put them there. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, bringing to you a, a person in your thought and in your mind. And so I would just encourage you, bring that person to Jesus right now. Offer prayers to Jesus for that person that maybe they don't have the words to say it right now. And so you pray the words that you know they can't say. Ask for the healing that, they're, that they can't ask for or they don't believe would ever come. Ask for the kind of peace that they think is impossible. Jesus, we know in the dark places it is so hard to see a way forward and we pray that your light would enter into those dark places that you would give us just a glimpse of your presence right now. A little bit of hope to help us to continue to walk in faith. I pray that you would do incredible things, that you would heal, that you would give life, that you would give us hope in the midst of the darkness and that you would make us the kind of church that surrounds each other in the darkness so that no one walks alone. 